Hey everybody, this is Mark D, IT Guy Dad, and generally bad movie nerd, and I didn't hit the D in bad very much there, so I'm going to do it again. Hey everybody, this is Mark D, IT Guy, and generally bad movie nerd. That sounds more natural, right? Way more natural? Naturalistic? That's, that's what I'm going for. I'm going for a very natural kind of sound, right? <clears throat> he says... And I'm um, coming at you with another Mark's movie collection. Today I'm going to be coming up with my number four favorite movie, and that is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, written and directed by Shane Black, and starring Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and Michelle Monaghan. And I don't know that that's the actual pronunciation of her name, but I'm going to go with it. Just like Dominic Monaghan, right? Fucking Hobbit movies taught me that much. So, um, this is kind of like a, a postmodern noir, a neo-neo-noir, if you will. I think postmodern or post-noir might be the, the way to go, because it is uh, quite a bit meta in and of itself, and that I, I love that. I love that additional layer to it, but I haven't seen it in a very long time, and apparently it came out in 2005, so... I don't know how I came across it in the first place now, thinking about it. I thought I had seen it, like, in theaters, but uh, I don't think I was going to theaters in 2005. I think I was, I was not uh, dating in 2005, so, so there's that. But I do recall the kind of stellar Robert Downey Jr. Uh, performance and things like that. Remember, loving Val Kilmer's character to absolute death. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pop it in. And by pop it in, I mean I'm going to pop it into this uh, crappy laptop I have laying around because it has a disk drive. And I'm going to back it up to my Plex server and then sync it to my iPad so that I can watch it, uh, I guess, in the comfort of my bed or, or whatever the case is because my life right now is very, very different. And I don't actually have, I don't, I legitimately don't have two hours a week to watch a rated R movie. Uh, just have so much uh, family-related things going on and, and work-related things that I don't I don't have that time. So, gonna watch this guy and uh, see how it goes. Cue detective music. Alright, so L.A. Noir is not this this music or L.A. Noir. Jeez, wow. Holy fuck. Okay, so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang 
yeah, I just, uh, I just opened a beer. And I'm pouring it. Because it still feels like yesterday. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is not the movie that fits this music or this theme even. It is very uh, post, post-noir. It is using a lot of uh, noir mechanisms, but it also points them out. It is meta-noir, post, post-modern noir, I guess. I guess being meta is post-modern, I don't actually recall. It's definitely interesting. It uh, doesn't take place in the rain, for the most part. It takes place at Christmas time, but it's Christmas in LA, so it basically doesn't count. It's just a normal day because it's not cold or or anything really. And there's a lot going on. Uh, director Shane Black, who's uh, a predator fame, I guess. Nice guys, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man Three, Predator. Uh, oh, he's doing a Doc Savage screenplay. That's cool. A, a Lethal Weapon writer, right? He wrote Lethal Weapons two and one, two and three. He wrote Monster Squad, which I fucking hate. Last Boy Scout, Long Kiss Goodnight, which I did like quite a bit. And he's been an actor in a couple of things. He was in Predator. He was Hawkins in Predator. But yeah, uh, director of six movies. Nice guy. Iron Man three, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Doc Savage, uh, Iron Man three, and Edge, a TV movie. So he doesn't. He's not, like, prolific, but he works. He seems to, in his later years, he seems to want to subvert the action hero trope or the hero trope or or whatever it is versus kind of encouraging it like he did in Predator, even, you know, maybe help solidifying it, like Predator, The Last Boy Scout, and even Long Kiss Goodnight to a certain extent, where um, Gina Davis is kind of like this... uh. Minnesota mom or whatever, but she's actually a fucking sleeper agent who's been like, you know, put on ice, so to speak, in her uh, domestic role. But it's really cool and uh, very formative for me in certain ways that I won't get into. But having those invulnerable heroes, um, Lethal Weapon especially, can kind of maybe wear on you a little bit. So writing that vulnerability, I think, is a lot of what we saw in Iron Man 3 that people did not appreciate. They're like, my Iron Man's an invincible Iron Man, like the invincible Iron Man, like the comic. And it's like, no, Iron Man is a dude, and there's an entire uh, demon in the bottle kind of storyline where he becomes an alcoholic. And I say that as I'm drinking a beer at three in the morning, you know, and that's very poignant. It's it's very real. It's It's very, not only of the time, but of the people, right? So I thought that was really interesting how Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a very self-aware noir that it's not even a noir. It's not filmed like a noir. It's not dark. Well, it's, it's pretty dark. It takes place mostly at night. But you don't get those crazy, like, graphic long shadows, sharp shadows, and things like that. And, I mean, there is one uh, kind of take where he's in the, the house of the, the girl with the pink hair, and he's walking around, and it's like a long take. I love that one. That one felt really good. But none of the... None of the cinematography really uh, jumped out of the screen and punched me in the face. It was just, it was just very, I guess, competent, maybe, or or maybe slightly less than, and I just didn't notice. But this movie, I think, ultimately is about setups and payoffs. And right from the beginning, you have the magic show, 
and that's a, a setup, and then it's a it's a pretty close payoff to that. Uh, that payoff comes when he's uh, narrating Harmony's kind of uh, introduction. And maybe that's not the best place to start. Maybe the best place to start is this movie being meta. And this movie is, is meta in a way that is unusual because it starts out with a seemingly unrelated magic show and then it jumps into the main storyline, which is Robert Downey Jr., but we don't really get a transition. We also have some really, really cool uh, title animations, like titles, opening titles. They're wonderful. They are beautiful. They are very Bond, very uh, Chinatown-inspired. I'm sure there's a lot more to it that I've just flat missed because this movie is also full of homage, and I only caught some of them. And I'm, I would love to know if there's like a list somewhere in the world, but it's 3 a.m. and I'm recording this. I literally don't have time for this. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Bronchitis. And if I'm talking fast, it's because I'm trying to remain high energy, because if not, I might just explode. So as soon as we jump into his storyline, he's narrating it a little bit, and then he runs into the audition. And we see the script in the audition, and already we're seeing kind of like, it's like almost representative of taking a peek at the script of the movie as we're kind of seeing it, and it was hilarious to me how it worked out. Um, but the narrator himself, uh, up, uh, upon first glance, I should say, is not omniscient. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back it up here. Boop! Spoilers. Like, ton of spoilers. This is a movie where maybe not having spoilers is good, because then things are revealed to you. And that is maybe important in terms of setups and payoffs. If you f feel free to breeze by this if you want, but you've been warned. Boop. So the, the narrator is not an omniscient narrator. He's actually editing the movie that we're watching. And it's funny in the scene in uh, Corbin Brinson's house, who uh, I can't think of his character's name right at the, right at the top of my head. Corbin Brinson plays Harlan Dexter. So they're in Harlan Dexter's house. He's with Perry kind of getting fixed up and they talk about like the I think the hospital section or whatever and he kind of pauses the movie right there and he's like oh like that's never going to come back you know random dialogue about this thing uh <laughs> and and it does right it, everything is on that and they've already done the random dialogue thing that never comes that that is going to come back before that so so they, they do the setup, then they point out the setup, and then they pay off on all the setups. You know, that's kind of like Chekhov's gun, whereas if you have a gun on the mantelpiece in the first act, it must go off by the third or whatever. You know, that, that's a very common trope. And in mystery writing and, and you know, this pulp mysteries, these noirs, um, as we kind of confuse the two, right? Noir is a, a film style, whereas pulp is kind of like a writing style. So maybe these mystery pulps of the 40s and stuff like that, um, they, they do that often, right? And I say pulps because like DeShiel Hammett's work is not, not necessarily set up this way. His work is a little more organic, maybe. But we as humans kind of relish in the payoff. I know I do. When something pays off for me, that is an actual, like, pleasure. That's like eating a chocolate bar, basically. 
So in movies where I see a lot of setups and I see the payoffs for the setups and every setup that I can think about is paid off, I like that movie. And this is probably that movie. He's like not omniscient, but also in a flashback where he introduces Harmony, he's directing the extras. So it's it has a lot to do with Hollywood itself. Um, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character of, of Harry Lockhart, which sounds like a private detective, Harry Lockhart novel number 10, you know. Um, he, um, he goes to Hollywood under the guise of being an actor. He was just trying to avoid the police. But already framed in that, he has a lot going on. There's a lot of L.A. archetypes and L.A. in-jokes, like um, women walking up to him and asking him, oh, what do you do? And they're expecting, oh, producer, director, casting director, things like that. Uh, and then placing, I guess, like uh, value judgment on him and whether to interact with him based on what it is that he does. So he he doesn't know this, so he kind of makes things up. And it's super funny, like the first one where he's like, uh, I retired, I invented dice as a kid. Kills me every time. And then the second time, it's, oh, I'm a private detective. And that's kind of what gets him into it, right? So it's that setup and that payoff is that him lying and saying he's a private detective to a girl who walks up to him and asks him what he does is really fitting for the movie. Additionally, he, uh, in, in Harlan Dexter's house, there's a bunch of these Johnny Gossamer books, right? And Johnny Gossamer is obviously a fake character, but with very real roots. And these are the pulp books. Like if you, if you remember reading like a Nancy Drew or Hardy Boys book, you know, I had the yellow like bars at the top that'd be like, blah, 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 number, whatever. So these are like the same deal, but they're like a male kind of private detective character. And there's a series of books and this factors into the movie significantly. And, you know, they take great pains to explain that. So it's not a surprise. But when Harry is talking about Johnny Gossamer to Perry, I know they sound the same and maybe that's also the joke or a joke. You know, he talks about how two cases, uh, Johnny Gossamer always takes on two cases in a book, one normal and one weird, and then they end up being the same case. They're both connected. It's just one big case. And that's what happens in the movie, pretty much, sort of. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because when Harmony shows up at his hotel room, uh, when she finds out that her sister was killed, He's narrating that one in situ, like live. He's actually narrating that one as it happens. So that's really interesting. I mean, maybe he's not technically doing it, but his, his reactions and his thought process, he is narrating his literal exact thoughts at that very second. And then another really good like meta one is the, um, the nighttime like hug, like you saved my life thing, but it's Harmony and Perry when Harmony saves Perry's life, but they don't, you know, it's nighttime in the park, moonlight, they, but, but they don't kiss or anything because Perry's, like, super gay, but that would be the point where the hero, like, kisses the girl and stuff like that, like, oh, thank you. You saved my bacon back there. That's my detective voice. It sounds like Batman. That, I, I can't do a loud Batman voice. My, my son is asleep, obviously. It's a random-ass time in the middle of the night. But, uh, eventually I'll... I'll if I haven't done it already, I'll, I'll do a Batman somewhere. But it's really funny because, like, the the dialogue is 80-yard to sound, like, really close and intimate, even though they're, like, 
a mile away from everything. And there's no way to put a boom pole near them. <laughs> and then the, the horn background music starts playing right at that time. Like, if you've seen one of these movies, air quotes, you know that that's when they kiss. With, when the music cue and all that stuff, that's when they kiss. But they don't because they're not love interests. So, I mean, that's kind of maybe the best way to start talking about this movie. It knows more than you know about it, right? And there's setups and payoffs all over the place, right from the beginning, Harmony and the Magic Show, and then Harry and the Magic Show. Like, that was a, a weird, like, early on twist payoff thing where we got this stupid fucking Magic Show bullshit in the beginning. We're like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? And really not a whole lot, but... It's explained. And then that um, that setup where he says uh, in narration, you know how uh, Silly Putty picks up shit from comic books? And I didn't know that this was a thing, but apparently if you just put Silly Putty on like a comic book, you could get an image off of it, like, uh, like a negative almost. And Harmony actually does that in a flashback with uh, the face of Johnny Gossamer out of one of the Johnny Gossamer books. And then it was really funny how... In the beginning, Dabney talks about, Dabney being the producer guy, talks about not being able to see vaginas in Playboy, there's always a shadow or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But that is actually an important plot point that comes up shortly thereafter, right? So there's a lot of short-term setups, but there's some long-term setups, right? So uh, maybe like short to medium term is uh, the, but I'm a bear, what do I know setup? But then long-term, we get the actress that harmony points out at the bar when she first or or when she second meets harry and uh she she points out an actress in another very la thing like she eviscerates this poor woman she's like she's been fucked more times than she's had hot meals and she's 35 and she's never gonna make it it's over it's gone it's a very cynical take on acting especially as a woman in hollywood and I can't help but feel that it's pretty honest. So that's sad. But she ends up ends up getting like more and more parts. And at the end of the movie, she's in the "But I'm a Bear, What Do I Know?" commercial, which was like Harmony's like big, big break, right? And commercials actually pay really well, especially national ones. So as an actor, if you can just do commercials, you work like two days or whatever, and you're you're pretty paid. So it's not a bad gig. But yeah, that that kind of long term arc on a bullshit trivial setup is actually what makes me love this movie more so you know there's a lot going on in this movie and if you don't pay attention you could miss it i tried to pay attention i'm sure i missed something i'm not going to talk about everything but i'm going to talk about some other things so there's like a ton of homage and I mean, eventually I just kind of stopped looking for them, but the ones that really jumped out at me kind of in the beginning of the movie were the opening narration where Harry is looking into the pool or we're looking out of a pool at Harry. It's almost like he's floating in the pool and it starts out like the narration for Sunset Boulevard, which is a very famous movie, right? Uh, Archer kind of did the same thing in, uh, I think, Archer Dreamland is what it was called. Archer Dreamland? Archer Dreamland. 
Season 8 of Archer. Season 8 of Archer was... Yeah, so I saw a quick trailer. It was Archer Dreamland, the one in L.A., which is kind of like a private investigator like thing, and it's it's really funny. Archer's a good show. But that is an homage to Sunset Boulevard, uh, very notably, because the narrator himself is narrating the movie, even though he's dead, floating in a pool. So Harry is not dead, not floating in a pool, but we get that kind of same shot from below. And it's just, it, it was funny to me. I don't, I don't know how else to say that. I liked it. Um, Harmony in her house has a, a wooden baseball bat, and in it is carved Wonder Girl. And that's a homage to The Natural, where uh, Robert Redford has the Wonder Boy bat that was carved out of a tree that got hit by lightning or, you know, whatever. I mostly know it by the Simpsons episode where they play softball with Jose Canseco, or Jose Canseco. I mean, it. It came out naturally that way because of the crab dick coming at you Power Rangers thing. You know, the I'm the Juggernaut Bitch dudes did a, a Power Rangers YouTube video. And for one of the, like, you know, fighting, like, kata animations for the Black Ranger, they voiced, they dubbed him with, I'm Jose Canseco. So now I just say, Jose Canseco. Not that that's how I have ever said it in my life, but after that point, that's how I now pronounced it. So that one was was a really cute one, a really cute wink or nod or whatever. But then um, part two of the movie is called The Lady in the Lake, and that's a Raymond Chandler book that got turned into a movie, and it in some ways kind of mirrors the, the, the plot. It... um. It harmonizes with the plot, if you would. Maybe that's why her name is Harmony. Because Harmony Faith Lane, I believe. Because that is kind of how it goes from here on out. This case of finding a, a body in a lake and, you know, identity swapping and, and things like that. And the, the plot is uh, appropriately convoluted, maybe, or complicated, perhaps. but. I think the actors really brought home wonderful performances. This is uh, definitely character-driven, if not anything else. Robert Downey Jr., this is the birth of modern RDJ, I would believe. I want to say that he had... Uh, he had some issues with addiction. You know, kind of like in 2003, 2004... He he got really bad, but, you know, he started coming back. He was in A Scanner Darkly and Zodiac and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you know, and he had some help there. Some some people really helped him get back into movies because as an actor, if you're an addict, you're you're very valuable to the production, and some people may not ensure that production at that point because you could just hot die. That's good. It's good. It's Robert Downey Jr. We know him. We love him from... A lot of things. So, happy about that. But this is kind of where I first saw this very modern Robert Downey Jr. This quip, 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 hot take, hot take, hot take kind of joke, joke, joke reference. Pacing that he can do. He does it so well. And 
from interviews and things like that, it seems that he is just like that in real life. And and he's actually a wonderful, serious actor as well. Like if you've ever seen Chaplin, Chaplin is legit as all get out. And we get like a tiny glimpse of that when he's doing the audition as Harry in New York. And, you know, he has like some of the greater moments and, and gags like... um the thing with the spider where he's like, I'm on the hook. The hook is my home. I think that I've used that line before. I don't remember for what, um, but he also doesn't skimp on the physical comedy when he, (laughs) (coughs) that was a laugh turned into a cough. But when he, when he pees on the dead body by accident, his uh, genuine reaction is like silent movie. Perfect. It's so good. I laugh every time. I laugh every time. Uh, Michelle Monaghan is just stellar, right? She has the... She's like a a two-layered character, right? Her surface layer is this uh, L.A. wannabe actress that is very vapid or superficial or whatever the case is, and that shows kind of in her her public persona, right, where she's on TV and things like that. And I haven't really figured out the appropriate description of that. Like, I haven't, I don't know the word for that that I want to use. But maybe manufactured, manufactured might be the word, uh, to appeal to a certain demographic, which is producers like Daphne after the protocop thing, which is really funny because the protocop thing was set up in the store that Harry was robbing, and it kind of like, continues on a little bit but she is insanely sharp and she is probably she's probably one of the smarter characters if not the smartest character in the movie just you know circumstances right i really loved her performance i thought that she was funny i thought that she is a phenomenal actor um i haven't seen the special features in a few years but i believe shane black calls out the the dopey love eyes and how he didn't even didn't even tell her to do that she she made that choice and not only making that choice but knowing that that is a choice that could be made maybe is is pretty impressive for an actor right or impressive to see executed i should say because i'm sure that actors maybe in a very academic sense know all these things but they don't necessarily always go for it or if they do that's not the take and somebody else's somebody else's decision making comes into play there, but and I think I made a weird noise there, but I'm not gonna re record that line. But her, the fact that her decision making aligned so well with the movie, you know, is is a good thing to say, right? So I think Michelle Monaghan is a wonderful actor. But I think maybe the top tier funny lines actually has to go to Val Kilmer and Val Kilmer's not traditionally known to be a funny man right he is obviously Iceman he's the dude from Real Genius which was just he's just a hero dude good looking hero dude but I think we started to see and I'm not huge on Val Kilmer's Val Kilmer's library. But I think that we started to see his uh, penchant, right? His penchant 
for comedy in The Saint, which The Saint is a 97, 98 movie where he plays like a thief. It's like a reworking of like a 60s show starring Roger Moore, which got him the Bond role. So like a Bond, a different Bond light, if you will. And in that we saw quippy, funny, costumey Val Kilmer. And it turns out that Val Kilmer has the fucking hottest quips in this fucking movie. And he plays a character called Gay Perry. And I don't know if that's offensive or not, but he is totally not offended by it. He owns that shit. So it's it's wonderful to see a character so in charge of their own identity and totally aware of it and just fucking like going for it, you know? So good. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a part where Robert Downey Jr. is just trying to make conversation in the beginning, and he asks him, you know, so, well, he, he kind of drops that he's gay, period, but doesn't know if that's offensive or not. You know, he's like, uh, does it, he doesn't really address it, but then Robert Downey asks him, or Harry asks him, still gay? And he says, me? No, I'm knee-deep in pussy, just like, the, just like the name so much that I can't get rid of it. But the... Um, Holy shit. It's just so I realized that I, I steal a thing from, from Gay Perry in this movie where uh if somebody misunderstands me, I just riff off the, what they understood. And I don't know that I've seen that anywhere else, but shortly after that Robert Downey Jr. misunderstands him and says, you know, he says talking money. And a talking monkey. And Perry's like, Yeah, talking monkey. Came here for the future. Ugly sucker. Only says ficus. And literally drives off. So, it's just, it's great. Um, there's also the, the, the setup and the payoff of the grammar thing where Harry tells Harmony he feels badly about what happened. And she says, oh, you feel bad. If you feel badly, that you know means that the mechanism that you used to feel is not operating well. And She's right. So if you say you feel badly, you should feel bad about it. Because that's not how that works in terms of grammar as we know it. But language is malleable. So I'm not up anybody's ass about it too, too much. At least not on the internet. In person, maybe. <laughs> Perry uses badly in the context of an adverb, like appropriately. And then Robert Downey Jr. kind of parrots the thing that Harmony told him as we are all guilty of doing when we just don't know what the fuck is going on and we have that one nugget of knowledge. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he's just like, what? Fuck it. Badly's an adverb. Who taught you grammar? And then continues on. Like, it's... Also the line, he pays me to insulate him from corpses. I just... All, all of these performances are, are wonderful. They are great. They are great, but apparently there is some tier of source material in this movie. And I don't know how much of it was used, but enough to give it a credit. So enough to require movie rights, I would assume. And that is a book called Bodies Are Where You Find Them by Brett Holiday. And Brett Holiday is an author who wrote 
pulps, and he wrote something like 74 books, I think, of a private eye character called Michael Shane. And Johnny Gossamer is essentially the Michael Shane of the movie. So much so. So the Michael Shane books look like the Johnny Gossamer books in the movie, or at least certain printings of them, which uh, exist in Harlan Dexter's house because Harlan Dexter played Johnny Gossamer in a movie, and they used some old uh, footage of, of Corbin Burnson. I forget from what movie, but this is a, a very delightful setup and payoff, almost that it was a setup that I had to research a tiny bit to get paid off because I, I had noticed the I had noticed the serial pulpish kind of look to the books and that felt very familiar because I did have some books of that time. But understanding that this is a real, real thing and that they had like gimmicky titles like Dividend on Death and Bodies Are Where You Find Them and The Corpse Came Calling and Blood on Biscayne Bay and date with a dead man and murder takes no holiday and dolls are deadly and killer from the keys those are real titles and i appreciate that so much i appreciate that cheesy stupid aesthetic so so much but then in the movie they go so far as to like create for set dressing a bunch of the books and I paused it and I tried to get a list of the titles and I didn't get them all but I got most of them so here goes uh die job but it's like die like death as opposed to die like hair dye so die job give us this day our daily red little girl lust ew the lonely black widow <laughs> a corpse in every garage kill the big ones first the callous cut, vein attempt, but vein is in like a blood vessel versus vein is in like ineffectual or pointless. You wouldn't want to live there. Sally died singing the best laid man. Like these cheesy fucking titles are awesome. They're great. They're fantastic. I appreciate them so much. And I appreciate that somebody sat down and wrote these out and somebody else or somebody's somebody. No, I'm not going to do it. Somebody's want, uh, created these books to be in the movie. You know, I love that shit. Like one of my favorite, 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 favorite things that I literally wish I could buy the poster series were the posters for Lucas Lee in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. There's actually a Reddit post, and I'm going to look for it right now. Lucas Lee posters. Awesome fake posters. And I guess... I don't know who created these, but... I, th I would assume that it is actually the movie production itself, because they have a lot of photos of, of him. But, I mean, Photoshop, right? But they have uh, Lucas Lee as Action Doctor. Lucas Lee as Let's Hope There's a Heaven. Kiss Me, I'm Dying is the tagline on that one. Um, Action Doctor, the tagline is The good news is you're going to live. The bad news is he's going to kill you. <laughs> um, 
there's another one with uh it's called uh the game is over two one good cop is finished fooling around again there's also lucas lee you just don't exist cole hazard just got a call saying he has 89 minutes to live from himself and then a uh, very fast and the furious one with i think his stunt doubles maybe and it says uh thrilled to be here i think there was more but i'm not gonna you you can search that if you want i'll i'll put a link to this screen rant article in here I love that appreciation for these jokes, that love of these jokes. That is a genuine, we like these jokes, we want to make them happen kind of thing. That's commitment. That's commitment. They're committed to that joke. So that's really cool. And I think the best part about the book titles is that we haven't gone so far. We haven't diverted so far from that the harry bosch books had like the black echo black ice uh the dexter books had uh darkly dreaming dexter uh delicious dexter but a lot of alliteration and dumb shit you know and a lot of the tropes of these pulps still exist they are still pulps we just don't call them that we call them maybe airport fiction Right, I think that's that's like a commonly used term for modern pulps. I feel like sometimes people are offended by the word pulp, but I don't know. It's complicated. I mean, writing is complicated. Art is complicated. Doing art as a job complicates it even more. So writing to try to get paid is a crazy complication of it. But I just, I really appreciate this movie for what it is. I love it to death. However, I think I may have been a little hot out the gate calling it my number four favorite movie. And after watching it, I'm, I'm currently reevaluating that. I don't hate it in the slightest. I fucking love this movie. But I don't know that it fires on all cylinders. I feel like a number four favorite movie needs to have a little more cinematography set design or whatever this seems like an it's a well-made inexpensive movie is what it seems like what was the budget on this budget was 15 mil so it was a very inexpensive movie and that doesn't mean that it's bad but i think it is it shoes some more creative visual design to kind of embrace the realism that it purports, right? It, it feels very real. It feels very normal. It feels like this is a, a real story almost, like it could happen, right? When you get these very graphic and artistic shots, you may break that realism a little bit. And, and I think for Brick, that works because we know that kids in high school don't talk the way these characters are talking. But that kind of fantasy, that kind of surrealism works with how the movie is shot, I think. 
you know, this movie's shot well, but it's it's a you know fifteen million dollar movie. I saw it on DVD, so the quality isn't in my face. Nothing's in my face. There's you know nothing crazy. Just that that long that one take, kind of long oneer as they call it. In in the girl with the pink hair's house is really the only shot that kind of the only sequence that really jumped out at me. Everything else was just very solid. It was very solid. I feel like maybe the chase at the end or whatever was a little eh. I, I didn't love it, honestly, watching it now, but I didn't love it last time. But Nice Guys also, same thing. The chase at the end, the action scene at the end is very eh. But everything leading up to it is so good. So I'm removing it officially from my number four favorite movie, but I love this movie. I think everyone should watch this movie. I think this movie is hilarious. And that being said, I guess I'll, I'll roll some music. So, admin stuff. Once again, I've been Mark D. You can tweet at me at CoolMarkD, cool with a C and Mark with a K on Twitter. That's usually the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, I'm going to have to take a hiatus. I'm going to have to take a hiatus from podcasting. I, it's just my, the way my life is structured right now. I don't have the time. I, I don't have the time to watch you know, rated our movie and then, you know, kind of take notes on it and do research and, and come back with a, a podcast that I'm enjoying, even this one. You know, they say don't release a half-assed podcast. I don't think it was half-assed. I just, it was like not extra ass. It was the, the minimal acceptable ass in this one. And And I say that because I'm not like an academic. I'm not in the fucking... Academy of Sciences or any of that, you know, just some fucking rando in a spare bedroom buying microphones and then trying to figure out what to do with them. Basically, that's watched a lot of movies and has a lot of movies. That, that That's literally my fucking credits here. Like, these are my credentials. So, you know, I also have a family and, and I also have a job and that's how I pay for shit. So I pay for the house. So... I got to focus on that and I'm going to take maybe a, a couple months and, and see how that goes. See if things level out. I know kids are, kids change. Kids are different. Life changes. There's no consistency there. Ultimately change is the only constant, but I hope to be back kind of soon up until then. My re releases are going to be 
Like, if I literally get the opportunity and be like, I have a fucking whole day to myself, yeah, I'm going to make that happen. But I don't really see that happening. If I have a whole day for, to myself tomorrow, I have a bunch of things that I need to be doing, you know, mow the lawn and, and do this and do that and, and all that stuff. You know, home ownership. Home ownership is its own set of requirements. And unfortunately, I commute uh, pretty far to go to work. So there's at least two hours a day that I'm in a car. There's a lot going on, and my situation is definitely not unique, but I just need to figure out how to make it work as best I can. So that being said, this is a farewell for, for a little while. Thank you for listening. I hope to see you soon.